Leo, always a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, thank you very much for joining us here today. I uh, I know we have done a few uh, videos with uh, Jay Americas, as you know, Alexa Translations, and I myself are big fans of Junior Achievement. And uh, who best uh, to have on the podcast than the the CEO of uh, Junior Achievement Americas, and with some more exciting news uh, to come. So on that note, Leo, uh, for our audience, tell us a bit about who is Leo Martellotto. And uh, I said it the Italian way, so I should say the the, the, the Argentinian way. Leo Martellotto. <laughs> it's the same because I'm so used to like getting my last name in different ways, and it, it doesn't matter if you just say Leo. I, I know it's me. So first of all, Gary, thank you very much for allowing me to be part of a conversation with you, someone that I admire for being such a great entrepreneur. So I, I'm the one getting the inspiration every time I, I talk with you. So um, so I would say that I'm just a regular guy that uh, had, has the privilege of connecting uh, the passion and those things that get us very excited with our daily job. And that's a luxury, I would say, that, that I do have. And, and that same passion that I put in everything I do. So Leo is someone very passionate, uh, not just when it comes to work, but also when it comes to, you know, uh, raising a, a family, interacting with the, the ones that I love, uh, playing sports. Um, I, I, I do believe that's one of my strengths, having unlimited energy for those things that, that I'm passionate about. And I can attest to that, Leo. Everyone that knows you knows that uh, you you have uh, a lot of passion. Are always the the when when people think of Energizer Bunny, you know, it's there. It's always Leo. <laughs> Absolutely, but we gotta make sure in fact, you're walking on the right direction. That you are the Energizer Bunny, but you're walking on the right direction. That's the only challenge when you are like too passionate. <laughs> so, Leo, the. Uh, you know, on that note, who had the biggest impact on you growing up? Uh, this, where does this passion come from, other than some natural energy mm -hmm. that comes with being uh, Leo? But who had the biggest impact growing up? So, I mean, definitely people that you interact with, and people that tells you stories, and people that expose you to the right questions will always be your kind of inspiration and have an impact in your life. But in my case, it's also people that went through very specific adventures to allow me to be where I am, that really inspire me and had an impact. Um, so I'm very connected to my grandparents' stories, uh, like for example, them being immigrants and having to, to jump on a boat for a three months journey across the ocean to come from Italy to, to Argentina and starting from scratch at the age of eight years old. Um, living part of the family, uh, you know, uh, back in, in Italy, and, and really starting from scratch. My, my grand, grandmother started that trip with four little kids, and they had to, to do everything in a place that they didn't know the language. I mean, they went through some very, very tough uh, um, experiences. And th that is even happening in these days, but that was kind of something that left a mandate in my family about don't complain about how tough life is because it was much harder for those one that were that that had to make it before you so those stories really 
left a, a, a good mark, I would say. And then, I mean, there are several other people that left an impact, uh, mentors, you know, and for example, the one I had from Junior Achievement when I was 17 years old, when I was totally busy, when I was, you know, surrounded by shortcuts, and I would say bad examples because when you are at the age of 17, 17, you're exposed to really bad decisions. But this guy was the first one <laughs> that came to us and said, listen, there are different ways of doing things. There is a different way of investing your energy that could, you know, really put you on a good spot in terms of feeling complete and, and, and reaching happiness as it is said, right? Um, it was the first time we were getting that type of questions. Um, so that left uh, also a mark. And it was someone that I didn't know until that day that he opened the door and showed up in my classroom. And I still remember many of the conversations I had with this person who brought a totally different you know, perspective. Uh, so I always say that impact and inspiration can come in so many different forms. And it can come as a surprise. It can come in a 10-minute conversation. It's a matter of one being open and I was, I think, lucky enough to being open because I was part of a 30, you know, uh, a team members group and, and not, not everybody got this as an impactful moment of truth in life. <laughs> Maybe three or four of us only that were really open to, to getting that inspiration and impact. So. Leo, I really appreciate that background, and I can always appreciate the struggles of immigrants, mm -hmm. regardless of uh, when they came. Uh, yeah. The challenges tend to be similar. Obviously, some things have gotten easier with time, uh, but the, there's always challenges when you move from one country to the other with language limitations. And honoring and them. Everything else that comes Honoring up. them, right? I mean, my grandma didn't finish elementary school. And I, I, I was able to, to become a Harvard graduate. I mean, if you think about the, the journey, and it, it was all thanks to them, that for her, because she couldn't finish elementary school, it was important for her daughter, my mother, to go to high school and then university. And my mom said, okay, you are next. And they would encourage me, right? Um, so honoring the effort and the sacrifice that they made. And, but, you know, the, if you ask any immigrant, they say, oh, we do it for the children, for a better future for them. So to them, you go, being a Harvard graduate is the achievement that they intended all along, because that's the, really the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, Leo, to ask you, uh, very few people think when they're children, I want to be the CEO of Junior Achievement <laughs> Americas, or I want to be an executive in an organization. So gro growing up, what did you want to be? Oh my gosh, and that, that's a, a, a tremendous pressure that we keep putting on our teenagers, you know, kids, grandson, like every time we are asking, what do you want to become when you grow? And I think it's the, it's the wrong question that we keep putting in front of our young people. Um, and it took me a while to understand that it was the wrong question because the question should be more about where do you think that you can shine the most? Where do you think that you can contribute the most? Then how you will the contribution come together? It's a different question. And that could be by being a doctor or being a CEO. But first it should be about how do you think you will contribute the best and connecting, you know, that passion that you got to 
try to find with the skills that you might not know that you have, but you have to explore and, and, and find them. So it is that logic that should be put in place. That's why when I was at the age of, let's say, 16, 17, I didn't know what I wanted to be at all. I did know that I enjoy spending time with people. I did know that I was good at interacting with others and communicating. So I, I was kind of learning and, and, and finding out what I was good at. And that was, I think, the critical thing for me at, at that age. Um, and then I said, okay, uh, because my father was in bankrupt because he tried to be an entrepreneur at that moment, it was really tough for him. I saw his frustration and I said, okay, it might be that I should go into business, you know, where I can capitalize these skills that I kind of know that I have. And Jay was also important for that to, to prove that that was something I could leverage. And then having this personal story of seeing my father, like really suffering through the process. I said, okay, what about starting business? And, 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 and that was why, you know, I decided, but of course, at that point, I, did, I, I would have never thought that I would become you know, a, a CEO for a social impact type of organization. I would have never thought about it. Um, so it was definitely, you know, an opportunity that came up that I didn't go for, but I, I was exposed to it because right after the J program at the age of 17, Junior Achievement, the local office opened an opportunity uh, to, you know, to recruit uh, volunteers to work part-time at the office with the most operational task that you can imagine. And I said, okay, I mean, because I can learn more while I'm studying. I didn't want just to study, but I wanted to start having experience. Um, so again, I opened my mind to saying, okay, I, I might learn something in the NGO world. I could have gone to a business to be a, an intern, but I decided to go in, into the NGO world because I said, this is an organization that has to maximize impact as other, you know, for-profit organizations uh, do. But here, at the same time, doing well. Like, I'm helping others to go through the same experience. So for me, it was like connecting dots, and he said, okay, this worked for me. No, and uh, Leo, I can completely appreciate that, and it is... Uh... It's really interesting to get that background. Part of the reason why we do this podcast is that we learn things about the people we interview that we may have known them sometimes for years, mm -hmm. which is the case in for you and I, but hard to have that background and really mm -hmm. do that understanding. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, I thought I was going to be a doctor when I was about that age. So here we are. Well, <laughs> Other than occasionally wearing a white shirt. <laughs> well, but you're definitely dealing with, with pain. Right? I mean, the pain organizations yeah, do have when they need, you know, to move fast, be efficient, and don't waste time in a very operational thing. You're dealing with pain. So you are a doctor in a way. <laughs> yeah, very, very different type of doctor. <laughs> different type of medicine. So, Leo, anyone that knows you knows that you're very athletic uh, from biking to running to uh, a variety of other hobbies, but what is your favorite hobby? Well, I mean, I do have one, but which is a mix of three different hobbies. And, and, and my wife keeps saying that I was smart enough to put one name to three different disciplines, which is triathlon. So by saying that I'm, you know, doing triathlon, I'm saying that I'm swimming, running and biking. Um, 
which worked very well for me because um, I kind of enjoy the, the three things, but when you combine it, it becomes a totally different sport. But I think the root cost of going into triathlon um, was the fact of feeling challenged every time. And I kind of try to apply the same principle to my job. And that's why I have always been trying to evolve and, and going into new challenges and adventures. And, and triathlon is exactly that. Not just because when you put the... I mean, being good at one discipline is tough, but being, trying to be good at three is impossible. And, and that's a, already a challenge right there. And, and the fact that you had to, you know, uh, swim for a long distance, bike for a long distance, and run for a very long distance, like in Ironman, where you do like a 180K bike leg, and then you do a full marathon at the end. Uh, before starting to do it, you just think it is impossible. But then when you do it, and you realize that it's possible, you start applying that, you know, approach to everything you do in life where it, it might be impossible at the beginning before you start training, getting ready, contacting the right people, and really kind of visualizing the idea, you start believing that everything is possible. Besides, you know, the, the saying of a brand, everything is possible. Um, and you start applying that to everything you you do in life right um it's kind of the exponential mindset against the fixed mindset where the fixed mindset you start by saying it's impossible and there is nothing i can do about it and the exponential mindset where you say there are so many things that i can do to make it happen um and actually in my in my work you know having board members like you gary <laughs> who are bringing that exponential mindset has been very important so going back to the hobby I have one, which is a mix of three, very challenging, requires a lot of discipline, a lot of training, taking care of how you eat, how you sleep, everything, you know? Um, and, and I think we all kind of exercise the, the same approach to everything we do. And uh, Leo, I've read a quote that always uh, resonated with me along the lines of uh, really not thinking anything is impossible, is, and it said, whether you think you can or you can't, you are right. <laughs> Which is essentially, if you think you can, it's 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 really like, absolutely, and, and uh, then you will do it. And if you think you can't, then it's uh, you're right. Absolutely, absolutely. If you can, yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, Leo, the uh, speaking of the triathlon of your life, now drawing that into the parallel, mm -hmm. walk us through a bit of your career. Sort of, what were the key? the key uh, shaping moments that brought you to where you are today? Well, when, when someone makes this question, I always uh, share a thought about how you shape your own life, how you are kind of the owner of your own destiny. And, and the reality is that, yes, you own your destiny, but there are things that you don't own and you don't control. So it's a mix of variables that you do control and variables that you don't, and it is that like amazing combination that shakes things up, including your career, right? And for me, like if I look behind and I say, okay, how was my career shaped? It was definitely a combination of yes, no decisions, like a binary type of language, the one that we use in, in computing. Yes, no decisions. Um, 
And there were some very good yes and some very good no's that I, you know, uh, made us decisions that put me where I am today. Of course, that at that point, I didn't know how things would end up being, you know. For example, when I said yes to the intern opportunity to spend four or five hours a day while I was just starting university, while I had other friends going into private sector and, and even getting a salary at the age of 18. So they were making money. I was working much more than them. I don't know them for four full years. And it was a, a decision. I said, yes, I will stay here working for free. It was four or five hours at the beginning. Then it was a full-time job. So I, I had to study at night and during weekends without making a salary. It was a yes decision, but now if I think about it, when the crisis came in Argentina, 2002, everybody was fired with exceptions that we were getting, weren't getting a salary. We were free for the organization. So of course they kept us, as you can imagine. So all of the ones getting a salary were kind of kicked out and we started the, the organization. So I started having a full-time job. I became the, the director of development at the age of 22 because there were no other option. We started getting traction. We started bringing resources again. I started being paid. And then I became the executive director for that office at the age of 24. And then at the age of 28, I got a call from the J Americas and J Asia Pacific president that she was in the process of hiring a director of operations. So it was the first employee of the region. I got that call because I had been active already, not just in Cordo, in this little town lost in the south of the world, but I had been also active globally because we were running an event called the International Forum of Entrepreneurs. And I wanted young people from all over the world to come. So I asked alone from my father to start traveling around. I tried to explain why I wanted to go to, to Middle East, why I wanted to go to, to Beirut, to Kuwait. Uh, and I went there and we had four delegations coming from the Middle East to Cordoba, Argentina, and just seeing, you know, the young people interacting, like, like young people that have never been in touch with someone from Middle East. Okay. And that happened because we started putting that effort. Because I was exposed, I, I didn't realize that I was already developing an international career in J. I didn't realize at that moment. Uh, and that was a yes decision of asking money to my father. It was a decision of going to Middle East instead of going to Brazil, to Carnival, to have fun as my friends did at that time. So I started making these decisions, right? Linda Reimer hired me, then she retired. And the board at that moment said, Leo, you are the only one we have in J America. So you stay for uh, in, an interim position for one year until we find someone good to, to do the job, right? <laughs> After that one year of being interim, they said, Leo, you stay, okay? And, and that was definitely a moment of truth. And I said, yes. Uh, and we started creating what it is, J Americas, um, which is this intermediate organization between J Worldwide, the global organization, and the 25 member nations that we have in 25 countries across the Americas, with the exception of, of the US. Um, and that, that was it, you know. Um, I, I, I have been serving as the president for the last 10 years in JA, America, serving 25 amazing leaders in countries like Brazil, Mexico, almost all of the Americas. And we have been able to grow our team. It is not 
uh, one person show anymore. Now we are 22 in this regional team spread across the region in eight different countries. So I have the luxury of working with a very international um, uh, team. Uh, and we're reaching more than 1.5 million beneficiaries now uh, aiming to double that number in the upcoming two years. That's the new J exponential strategy we have put together. Like we got momentum, as you can imagine, um, and, and still very passionate. So as I said, yes, no decisions, because I got proposal from private sector to move into, to be, for example, a partner for a construction business. I got that proposal and I, I, I waited it at that time. And I said, I mean, building, you know, houses, and now I'm building the future for all of these young people. It, it didn't feel that exciting because I, I, I already had a career in the non-for-profit. Um, but it is for profit for me, okay? And I always make this very clear. It, I, it, it is not that I'm sacrificing myself in terms of, you know, my, my income and so on to, to give to young people. I, we were able, and that, that's something I'm very thankful, we were able to make sure that we are for impact organization. It doesn't mean that I, 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 I have to, to be poor, you know? I have to earn what I deserve for the value that I bring. And, 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 and then that it works for everybody. And that makes, uh, Leo, when you do this for a living, I, I don't think anyone would expect uh, people to do it for, for free because you have to make a living by definition. So that's, I think that's often a misunderstanding of this. In, uh, maybe in Latin America. Expectation that, oh, yes, know. maybe in Latin America. Uh, I, I would get the question like, okay, well, I mean, how do you pay, pay your bills? Like, okay, you're leading an NGO and that's fine. How do you pay your bills? And it's like, I, I work hard to, to get the best salary that I can get um, because it would be so unfair, you know, for, for example, for my team that because they want to benefit all of these young people, they have to sacrifice the education of their kids, for example. Uh, or they would have a, an opportunity cost compared with what they would make in the private sector. We need the best at each of the roles that we have in the organization. If we really want to be a foreign impact organization, not just a philanthropic NGO, we, we want to you know, apply all of the business approach and, 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 and good practices to how we maximize impact because it is as important as any other for-profit organization serving clients and serving the society. It is the same thing. No, that's uh, that's exactly what it is, Leo. It's uh, to to truly advance the cause, you also need the right people at the place and and, and their real value. Exactly. Now, there was something interesting you said. You know, working throughout university, uh, all those hours free, and that was an experience that uh, really brought you a lot of value long term. What advice would you give young people at that age group, sort of at the you know uh, graduating high school, at the university stage? And hmm. this is—it's a question that just occurred to me. Mm -hmm. uh, just have, because you had to have a lot of discipline to say, "I have friends that, that are going and making money, and here I am." Yeah. And uh, so, what was what kept you motivated, and what advice would you give young people that may be in those shoes? Well, I mean, there is a great difference between being a forced salary person than for a post person, okay? And being a forced salary person, <clears throat> it means that it is all about speculation. You are measuring every decision and every effort 
in terms of what's the salary I'm getting back. For me, that is fixed mindset. Uh, it is always about you know seeing the, the glass half empty. But on the other side, the, 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 the for-purpose person, you measure things with a totally different rule, which is, and it is not just one rule, you have different rules and, 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 and rulers, sorry, rulers. And of course, it allows you to, to, to have a wider perspective of life because you are considering different dimensions. So the return over investment of your pressure, time, and energy should come not only based on what you are getting back, but what others are getting back. Because you are expanding your horizon of impact as an individual giving. And when you start bringing those different dimensions, it, it makes you feel more complete. Because at the end of the day, when you go to sleep, you think about what you have accomplished during the day. And for example, you Gary, you might say, oh my gosh, I have X number of employees that are able, you know, to feed their families, to travel, to, 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 to feel more complete because I built this business and now they are doing this. Or you think these, you know, clients and that, that's how entrepreneurs think. And it is the same thing. So if you continue speculating about something so small, such as one dimension, which is how much money I will make, then you have an issue. You will end up maybe earning good money, not a lot, because to earn a lot of money, to be a very successful entrepreneur, you have to think out of the box and, and have this exponential mindset. But if you start speculating every time about, okay, if I put that effort, what I get in return? And in some moments, you don't see what you're getting in return. It just feels it is the right thing, and it just feels that it's giving you something that is positive. At that time, when I was investing eight hours a day, I, I, like they would expect me to, to, to tackle goals. Like this is your goal for the week. You gotta schedule eight meetings with new potential J partners. I wasn't getting any salary, but I was still accountable for the commitment because I knew that if we got the eight meetings a week, 300 meetings a year, the probability of getting more resources to reach more kids was higher. And that was my thinking at that time. It's like, oh my gosh, my work is so important. I'm sending faxes, okay? Because that was my job, sending faxes and then calling to get a, a meeting with prospects, okay? And I, I would connect that sending faxes, which was, you know, the reason for many jobs of my friends to me. But then it was, okay, we're reaching 30,000 young people because I was able to get those meetings that got us those resources that allow us to reach 30,000 students. So that's, that's what I mean when you expand your horizon and it was not about how much money I'm making so I can go partying on, on the weekends, you know? That's good. Well, and I think, Leo, the, the lesson ultimately is that uh, you had some experiences uh, that were very important that you may have not necessarily gotten to do if you were working for, for money. You know, yeah. you may have done more mundane jobs, but this sort of gave you an opportunity to do things that required more, uh, more gravitas and mm. more uh, experience. And you were given that opportunity because you were volunteering. And I think when we think of people volunteering, whether it's um, just at the, the ground level all the way to the boards, often what you get out of it is way more than exactly. the time they could contribute to exactly. it. Exactly. That's the, that's the principle. And like we, at that time, we, we would have 300 conversations about education, 
you know, the future, how young people think. Those 300 conversations a year for me, it was much better than any MBA, anything that I could learn in, in, in the university. People that were there, like sharing with me their experience, like business leaders, politics, you name it. Uh, that was for me like the, the best university I could have get, gotten. No, uh, I completely, completely agree, Leo, and uh, cannot recommend it enough to people. So I will get back to the advice pieces because I want to ask you a bit more about piece of advice. But uh, I want to ask one more thing around uh, sort of the JA context. What were some of the biggest challenges you encountered? Because, you know, you've gone through economic turmoil. You've gone through um, having to grow a, a team and, and having to do a lot with a small team, et cetera. But what were some of the biggest challenges you could uh, you could tell us about? So many, as you said, but... The first one was to change the culture of junior achievement, being an NGO. And I remember we did a survey when I was just starting. We did a survey with the J leaders asking them, what was the, the three top skills and things that a J leader needed to make J successful? None of the 25. So they all said, of course, love for the mission, commitment, passion, like everything so romantic. None of them said discipline, professionalism, like none of them. So we had this culture of being an NGO, a philanthropic organization, getting money, executing, then seeing what I tell you back, you know, very about love. And with love only or with passion only, nothing will happen if you really want to be accountable. And we had to make this shift to bring this more professional mindset into the NGO world because actually that was the language that most of our partners were speaking. We had 3,000 uh, organizations supporting us in the region. 95% are businesses that want to do the best for the communities, for, for the kids of their employees, for, for the next generation. But they speak that language of accountability. I invest X amount of money, tell me what I'm getting in return, what the society is getting in return. That requires us to change the culture. So that was one thing. And then the other thing is how exponential we want it to be. And we had these 25 member nations who had acted in a very independent way because some of these J operations had been operating for 50 years. And these regional operating centers, we call the regional office, didn't exist. And we knew that if we acted as one, aligning vision and effort with the 25-member nation, we would grow. We would get you know, to, to a much higher stage in terms of reach and, and impact. So it required a lot of empathy and a, a lot of uh, trust building with all of the leaders showing that if we acted as one, as one region, and we would, for example, approach government or, or potential partners they will see us as a much better value proposition as, as, a, as an organization. It took us five, six years at least until we were able to develop a first regional strategy where we all came together and said, we all have our uniqueness, our very specific realities. Like if you think about the Eastern Caribbean compared with Jamaica, within the sub-region, totally different, or with Dominican Republic. If you think about Peru compared with Canada, I mean, oh my gosh, now, there is a common denominator, which is the need for J mission to be executed because we all deal with youth employment. We all 
deal with the need of having youth being empowered. So we, we, we had this as the unifying principle of the J mission being needed all across the region. And then, of course, aligning some of the key efforts. And that's what has happened for the second time. We have just developed the second regional strategy, which will take us to 2025. And, and now we were ready to say it is not just about the depth of the impact, now it's scale. So let's leverage technology. And that's a very key challenge that we had. How we make sure that we will incorporate technology in, in our model. And we are changing things that have been there for more than 100 years. We are a, we are a 100 years old organization. And we are reviewing and rethinking the whole model. People are freaking out, are pushing back. They don't want to change because they have been working in the classroom with printed material, imagine, for the last 100 years. And now we are saying we are going B2C. We are going direct to the beneficiaries through cell phone, through radio, through TV, satellite TV, wherever they are, we will get to them with J contents, not through schools anymore only. We, we, are, we have present more than 20,000 schools. So imagine you have been in this comfort box for 100 years and now we are saying we are going out there. So I, I, I would say that change management as the common denominator and making sure we are adapting and, and remain relevant because others will become more relevant than us and we will disappear. And that's the beauty of competition. So in the NGO world, the concept of competition, putting, out of, putting you out of business is something that it didn't even you know, exist in the past. And now we are very conscious of ed techs, for example, for profit organizations, educating in a much better, faster, and more relevant way than us. So we cannot let that happen because we want to remain relevant because we, we, we have to honor the beneficiaries beside the competition that will put us out of business. That's a good pressure that we are dealing with. So all of this changing mindset, I would say, is, <laughs> has been the challenge and has been moving us you know, to, to, to change. Well, and I think it's important to highlight, Leo, because to your point, sometimes think people think, oh, not for profit, you have an easy life, like, you know, it's uh, your, your job is predictable, no stress. But the reality is, you know, especially in, in today's environment, technology has really supercharged a lot of these changes. And you are in an environment where when you're a social impact organization, if you're not providing sufficient impact, somebody else will provide impact. Uh, better than you or faster than you. And as a result, uh, it's no different than the private sector. You have to move quickly, you have to adapt, you have to uh, add value consistently. Exactly. And it's just it's just that you're not charging people. That's all that happens. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I think doing that comparison with the private sector it always helps to, to speed things up, you know, because there are so many examples of companies that have not been able to remain relevant or to, this, to their stakeholders, right? And, and that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> So I will move on to a section just around business advice, uh, Leo, just because, again, you're balancing a lot of things, uh, growing an organization, being a triathlon man. Uh, what productivity tips uh, do you have for, for anyone listening? How do you balance them all of them? Well, I, I always say that make sure you are not wasting time on things that you can solve it in a different way, in a much more efficient way. So for example, Alexa translation, right? I mean, 
if you're wasting too much time on things that technology or a, a provider can solve it for you in a much more efficient way, don't do it. And that's the question I keep bringing to my team. Every time they come up with an idea or a discussion, first I ask, is that the best use of your time, energy, and ideas? If it isn't, let's find an, a different way of doing it. And, and many times we get like stuck in the mud with some very operational things that are not allowing us, you know, to, to, have, to, to maintain this long-term vision. And, 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 and that's an exercise that you got to keep doing it every time. It is not once a year when you are kind of defining next year plan or three years strategic plan. It's an ongoing exercise of saying which are the things that is a waste of time that I could solve in a totally different way. Um, and then the other thing is which are the conversations you are exposed to. So if you finish your day and you had 80% of the conversations that were about things that happened in the past or were about things that were too operational that won't have an impactful impact uh, in, in, in the business, something is wrong with how you're setting your agenda, something is wrong with the people that you are being surrounded by because in order to avoid that 80% going to conversations that are not productive, it's also about the people that you are surrounded with. So, for example, I have a regional board that I serve and that I report to that you very are, are, are part of it. The way that board has been designed, the mix of you know profiles, experiences, uh, even industries that you all represent, allows me to make sure that every interaction that I'm having, I'm getting the best out of every second that I interact because we have entrepreneurs like you that say, let's go for it, and, 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 and they are ready to take the risk. I have some other more conservative from the corporate world, from the finance world, that are all the time talking about which are the risks associated, which are the blind spots. So being exposed, and even with my team, I have some very good operational leaders. I have some very, you know, uh, like uh, a front-going type of, 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 of uh, vision having that mix so the people you surround will will define if you are stuck in the mud <laughs> or you are in a in a path road going fast no and leo there there's a lot uh, a lot packed in there but you're right that's that's uh, th this is uh, there are different ways to think and different ways to approach uh, how we advance an organization or even, honestly a lot of this is even our respective lives and our private yeah, lives. Correct. Um, Leo, I, I, I'm going to ask for one more uh, piece of advice. Uh, so, you know, if you think about the, one of the pillars of JA being entrepreneurship and promoting entrepreneurship within youth, and you've seen this over many years, uh, what is one piece of advice you could give entrepreneurs? Uh, and I know it's hard yes. to say, here's the, to distill it, but if you were to say to an entrepreneur, uh, uh, whether they are youth or otherwise, what would that be? I, first of all, let me share with you that I have I have an issues with with giving advice <laughs> because I'm so sad when I see young people going in TikTok or you know seeing this perfect set of the ten tips to be successful and they 
they get so frustrated trying to, to feed those advice in their personal lives. And of course, it won't happen. And then they feel so bad, frustrated that they give up. And many times, because we are kind of trying to give advice to young people all the time, we end up frustrating them. And, and, and they start feeling that the power comes from outside. And they start feeling that they don't have any power. Um, and, and, and they are just trying to, to eat, <laughs> digest all of this advice, many of them that don't make sense for them because it happened to someone else. So let me make that introduction before um, I share my perspective uh, on, 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 on what helped me because I consider myself an entrepreneur, although I didn't start a business, but I, I, do develop this, I did develop this organization where I had to apply all of the principles of an entrepreneur, I would say. So the first thing I would say, ask another entrepreneur and, and build that, you know, um, uh, momentum. So for example, go to Gary and ask Gary how things work for him all the time filtering and understanding that 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 worked for Gary might not work for you because you're a different person. So the advice is go and ask for advice, but make sure that you are continually conscious about this filter that you got to apply because you have your own beliefs, your own experiences, your own skills. So Gary might tell you something that sounds very exciting, but it doesn't apply to you, to your business, even to your beliefs. So that's the number one advice. And then of course the second one, as I said, um, develop this discipline, right? This, this routine of, of working hard, but every day a little bit more. Um, and, and, and because I, I do see people getting very anxious many times. And when you're anxious, you're not giving time to fail and try again. You're not giving enough time to think how you need to get there and you jump into action. So being patient, so a little bit at the time uh, should be part of the routine and exercising the muscles of failing and trying again, the muscles of asking for advice and not becoming an arrogant, uh, the, the, the muscle of you know, um, uh, being creative and, and creativeness comes from being exposed. So first you gotta go out there, be, in, be exposed and then you get inspired. Um, so that's kind of a, a group of things that I wanted to share when it comes to advices. No, and, and uh, Leo, it really resonates because if you think about it, uh, show up every day and just do a little bit more incrementally. Exactly. That, that can turn into a lot. And I think that level of discipline is it's one of the hardest things to develop, but it's just so critical at anything you do. Exactly. Um, and the, I remember there was a piece of research where there's researchers uh, interviewed over uh, thousands of actually really successful entrepreneurs, executives, etc. And one of the, the one takeaway that was consistent, they're like, they came with, they had all kinds of personalities. They came from all kinds of backgrounds. The only consistent theme that they all had in the process, they showed up every day. <laughs> that was the one thing they, they consistently required to show up every day yeah. and they kept pushing. Yeah. So that's, so they said, if you were to distill it, that's what it was. Exactly. <laughs> now, obviously there's other factors, but the consistent discipline is important. Mm -hmm. uh, so Leo, we're going to, 
to a, a fun part of the podcast and our last part, which is what we call one word answers only. So what I'm looking for from you here is just whatever the quickest, uh, whatever comes top of mind, you don't have to overthink it. It's, it's a simple exercise. Cool. So the first question, what is your favorite word? Happiness. Happiness. I love it. Uh, what word do you hate? Arrogancy. Excellent. I love it. Uh, what word do you have a hard time pronouncing? Many. <laughs> I was going to say pandemia. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh my gosh. Many. <laughs> Many. Uh, what is your favorite word in another language, knowing that you speak other languages? Parabéns in Portuguese means felicitaciones, congratulations, parabéns. Beautiful. Um, and how many languages can you speak, Leo? Hardly Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, English, uh, Spanglish, uh, uh, Portuñol, which is uh, Portuguese and Spanish, like, but it, it all starts with Spanish and something else. Uh, and this is probably going to be, the, uh, this is going to be the last one, but also hard to distill. One word to describe yourself by. Energy. Energy, yeah, that's uh, that's right in line with what I was thinking, Leo. Energy, <laughs> passion, like that's the yeah, man. And, Correct. And, and and this is sometimes the one word answers can be very telling. You know, it forces us to to distill and, uh, but at the, the same hardest. time, they can be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, the hardest one, and the hardest so, part. The the and and that's why we do it as a fun exercise, Leo, because it's you know it's a nice way to get out some. Uh, in, 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 with less pressure, when, whereas when you say, what is one piece of advice? You, you really have to think, how do I frame this? So that it actually yeah. has that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and Leo, so the, the, um, I, I, I'm done with the formal parts of, the, of uh, the, uh, the interview, but one thing that I wanted to really ask you just before we finish for today, it's, uh, I, I always push executives uh, to volunteer as much as possible, and whether it's uh, on board such a junior achievement, but even you know the being on the ground, so being in the classrooms delivering one of the, the programs, um, and whether this is for junior achievement or, or another not for profit, I think the 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 cause itself it should be something that people that do that, that they may be passionate about, but. Um, what advice do you have for people that are thinking about doing it but have not really taken any steps uh, in that context? Well, the first thing is it is not about that person that you're helping or that you're volunteering for. It's about you first. And like every time I've seen volunteers and we have more than 30,000 volunteers every year, donating more than 18 million hours. So I've seen many volunteers going into, for example, a classroom and interacting with young people. 
when they are about to enter the classroom and start, you know, interacting and, 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 and delivering the program, they all go with this idea of saying, what am I going to tell them? What am I going to teach them? And then when they leave, they, they realize that it's the other way around. When you go and interact with them and, and you have kind of a guided, you know, process because you're implementing a program that has a curriculum, and, but you're adding on top of that your experience. So that becomes an interaction. And I'm specifically talking about volunteering for an educational organization like JA. It might be different when you are like, you know, feeding people or, or, or building a house for, for, for people. But when you're in an educational process, it's an, a, a bilateral conversation. It's a, 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 a two-stream conversation. And, and you are feeding your ideas and your belief based on what you're getting back. So these young people, the way they react, the things that they will tell you, they are making you greater than before you going into the classroom. So the number one advice is don't think about being a volunteer as something that you will give, but something you will get. And that should be enough motivation for people to there and go and interact with teenagers. Like they really put you into troubles in the good way. I, I've seen CEOs with, I mean, leading companies with thousands of employees scared when entering a classroom with young people who don't have a filter many times because we, we evolve as adults in some things, but we definitely go the other way around in other things like, you know, putting so many filters and so many complexity that we lose kind of the genuine part of life. These young people, they haven't lost that genuine part of life. And when they tell you things, they ask you things, they put you in a, in a, in a tough spot for a good reason. So the fact that a volunteer is willing to go through that process, I, I find that so amazing. And, and you feel energized. You feel that for you, it was impossible to get attention of 16 years old group that is that are on Fortnite, Instagram all the time. And people start thinking that there is no way they would be excited about having a real human conversations. And they do. And when you go and you can deliver such a, an experience, you feel much better, you feel empowered. Um, so that, that's the number one advice. It's not about the beneficiaries, it's about you first. And then it will be about that conversation that, that you have to create. No, I really appreciate that, Leo. And to anyone listening uh, to this podcast, uh, go out and volunteer. And if you're doing some, I think there's always, you could be doing more, right? If there's any, uh, yeah. anything I could recommend you as a takeaway. Yeah. Uh, Leo, always appreciative of your time. I think there's uh, a, a lot of little gems here spread out throughout this uh, interview today that I think will be very helpful uh, to anyone listening. And as always, uh, you make interviewing easy because uh, you are a natural uh, at this uh, at the camera and at the interview <laughs> process. Thank you, Gary. As I said at the beginning, always great to, to talk with you. And, and I'm the one getting ins inspiration from people like you, Gary. So hopefully we'll continue working together. <laughs>